Welcome to Defining Endurance, a podcast focused on providing actionable insights for endurance athletes. Whether you're an athlete just getting started in endurance sports or a veteran looking to gain an edge, the Defining Endurance podcast is here to ask curious questions with athletes and fitness professionals, and most importantly, dive deep on current training topics so you can become the best version of yourself. Let us wait no longer. Let's dive into this week's episode. All right, gang, welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance podcast. I'm your host, Coach Andrew Simmons from Lifelong Endurance. And today we're running all the way to the finish when my guest today is Amanda Brooks. Uh, Amanda joins me not too far, uh, just a little bit north of me uh, here in Colorado. And uh, I'm actually really excited to talk Amanda today because we're going to talk through some of the things that maybe we can't quite get away from. Uh, that we thought, hey, I was a I was a new runner, and I, I I made some mistakes, but I've gotten past those. And I think one of the things that Amanda does, if you ever go pop over at runtothefinish.com, she does a great job of breaking down some of the I guess tougher subjects, but also some of the subjects that even I went back there as a coach, and I'm like, oh yeah, I got to think about some of these things. So, uh, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on and joining me today. Absolutely, always happy to talk running. So to give people a little context, uh, I've met both you and John Levitt um, at the Endeavor Run. Um, I guess it was a retreat, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of a retreat slash camp uh, that you were there for um, in Austin. And now remind me, did you run Austin that day? I did not race that day. I was fully happy to be on just vacation. <laughs> you got to enjoy it. It was a beautiful, like I, I had, this is my first time to Austin and I truly enjoyed uh, being in Austin. Yeah. It was wonderful. So let's dive in a little bit. I want to know a little bit more about Amanda. How, how did you get into running? What was your, what was kind of your starting point? Like was, were you a runner in high school? Did you jump into this a little bit later into the game? When did running become the thing where you're like, I love this? So growing up, I played a lot of sports, but there were literally times where people said things to me like, you're such an awkward runner. (laughs) So no, I was not a runner. I was athletic without being able to like run very far, I guess. I don't know. Cause you're on team sport. You don't have to run very far. Um, so when I got into college, I had a group of friends who were going to do a half marathon in Nashville. So it was going to be a road trip and I wanted to go. It never dawned on me that I could go on this trip without running the race. I guess that is what happens when you're 19. You see one option I must run. So I started training. I ran that race and it was painful. I mean, a half marathon was the first race I ever ran in my life, but I loved it. Um, There was something so satisfying about having done something hard because I chose to, not because anybody else told me to. There was no grade assigned. And so, yeah, now it's been like 20 years, which is crazy. It's crazy to think that. I was... uh talking with with John Levitt and one of the things we talked about was you know you get to experience that race that first half that first 10k that first marathon you get to have that experience first time once mm-hmm. and it's such a memorable and defining experience um and and for you was that like the igniting moment was it like i you went back home and you were like i think i want to do more of this running stuff and kind of keep this going or was there like 
and then you took a break. And it was like only until later did I find that I really enjoyed running. What, what, what was it for you? Was that like your catalyst completely? Yeah, I actually think I'm one of the very weird people who enjoy the training. And so I did the race. I went back, kept right on training, did the exact same race the next year, the only races I did. Um, and even now I train more than I race. Um, so for the average person, I do not race very much. Um, and I think it's because, yeah, the joy, the pride, most of it for me was in the process. Um, I don't know how I figured that out so early. Um, it was just something that kind of was maybe because for me, I knew I was never going to be the elite runner. I was never going to be the runner who was winning the race. So I just enjoyed the races, loved my PRs, but I set more stock in the time I spent training. Do you feel like it's hard to not always be seeking out the PR? For me, it's not. For most people, yes. Having been a coach for so long, um, I find that most people need a race to be motivated. And that's totally fine. I say whatever motivates you, latch onto it, use it. Um, for me, I just sort of found over the years that I get real excited for some races, but not a ton. I really want to just spend a lot of time running because it makes me feel good. It makes me creative. It, you know, just makes me a better human. Um, and sometimes when I'm focused on the PR, I start to lose all of that stuff. So I kind of let the focus shift and then suddenly I'm not enjoying running as much. And that's really the priority for me. Yeah, I can feel that. I coach a lot of, uh, I guess, developing runners, you know, whether that's a beginner or it's even like a high schooler. Um, you know, one of the things that I find is that high schoolers don't want it to feel like a job. Mm -hmm. And adults already have a job. And so they don't want to add another job to it. But at the same time, they don't not want the PR but they're also right. They find this kind of weird middle ground of like, well, if I don't care, right. There's a little bit of apathy in it. And sometimes people are often afraid to share what their real goal and their real intention might be because then if they put it out in the world, they now have to achieve to that. And so I think for those that are listening, they're like, Hey, that's, that might be me. You know, how have you been able to keep the joy in running? Because I think we just are now, you know, this is what late March, of 22 when we're recording this, we've just come out of a two-year kind of just weird space where we had to train to train. It wasn't this pointed effort always. And I think a lot of us tried to do maybe some solo efforts and go after some PRs, which those often ended maybe a mixed bag of feelings and not always the way we wanted. But if for those that are listening, how, how do you frame training for yourself as enjoying the, the process and training to train rather than having to always point race? And then once you're done with that race, it's onto the next training block. I think the last couple of years helped a lot of people start to figure that out because they either totally stopped running or they had to figure out a different reason to run. And so one of the things I'm always kind of saying is come back to your why I would be very surprised if when you started running, your why was a PR. <laughs> your why was probably, like you said, you're so busy. It was stress relief. Maybe it was weight loss. Like, I really don't care what got you into running. Usually you'll find other things. But 
that stress relief or the pride you felt when you just got it done, the fact that you were better able to handle your day. There's some cool studies that show runners are actually more efficient at work. I think it's because we want to get done so we can go run. Um, So I think coming back to that is just a really big thing. One of the other little tools that I've had a few runners start doing is to write down a word at the end of each run for how they felt. And a lot of times they are saying things like, I felt strong, I felt confident, I felt excited. And so kind of like same thing as your log, you're looking at miles, but now you're not just thinking about your pace. It's like, how did that make me feel? And suddenly it's a lot easier to keep tapping into that over and over that repeated like, yeah, I want to go get this done because I remember how that made me feel. And once you've actually physically written it down and can flip back through that log, a lot easier to kind of call that to mind. So I guess that begs the question, what was your word today? My word is pretty much always proud or pride, honestly. Like I, I mean, it sounds crazy, but 20 years in one mile or 30 miles, I'm like, dang, you did that. That's crazy. (laughs) I think for me, like I, I would, I would put the word blank because every once in a while I, I loved it today, went out for a five mile run. I took my dog and completely zoned out. Like it was like one of those things, if you've ever driven your car to like work or somewhere and you're like, how did I get here safely? Like, how did I not run every red light and cause like seven major accidents? And it was just one of those experiences where I was just like, it was a route I've run hundreds of times. The dog knows it as well as I do, but I, it was just, I got to be in my creative space, like you said, and I got to just think and, and almost kind of be in this little, my own little bubble. And that was really nice. And Sometimes it is not that. And I am constantly fighting like, do I really want to go five miles? Like, do I want to do that today? And it's a grind and it's hard. Um, you know, and so I, I love that because I think what that does is that you, you tap into something here and it's two things. One is that you're, you're associating something positive usually, unless it was a really, you know, dark, bad run and you had to work through yeah. some pain and that. Hey, we've all gone out after some of the toughest moments in our lives and had just had to go for a run to figure it out. Yep. You know, and I think one of the other things that you talk about here is actually the power of journaling. And this is something that we actually haven't really had a chance to talk about much on this podcast, but we, if we don't journal and we don't put down our thoughts, we just, they just kind of float in the ether. They float into this space and we can't pinpoint success. We can't pinpoint, you know, forward movement, right? Like if you don't journal after a race and your goal is to try and PR, you know, and it's a, it's a lead up race or anything like that, you can't go and look and say, okay, now what should my nutrition plan be? Well, what worked last time? And then you find that you're actually guessing and you're making assumptions and you're living and breathing everything into your training on assumptions instead of saying, what did I do last time? I took three gels every 30 minutes. All right. That seemed to work out pretty well. Yeah. And I find a lot of times it gets us out of our head. Um, So like you said, sometimes we don't have to stop guessing anymore because we wrote down like, here's what I took on this long run. Um, And what's funny is I find people who work with a coach will detail that out because they want to tell their coach, Mm -hmm. but on their own, they would never write it down. So it's very funny. Um, but also in the case of an injury or coming back from an injury, 
I've found if I can get someone to rate, you know, like their pain on a scale of one to 10, especially when you're coming back and you're in your head and you're so nervous, does it hurt? Does it hurt? That's all you're thinking the whole run. And you start rating it every run. Okay. It was a three. It was a three. Well, you know what? Maybe it was like a two. You know what? Maybe it doesn't actually hurt. I'm just really paying attention to it. And suddenly you've just put that concrete number to it. And watching Mm -hmm. that number day after day gives you just kind of peace of mind to say it's, it's not getting worse or it got worse. So now I can actually do something instead of just kind of flailing around in your thoughts. Um, So yeah, it doesn't have to be like writing out a crazy amount, but sometimes if you'll just take a couple minutes right after your run to hit some key points, it'll save you a lot of that mental anguish we kind of create for ourselves. I hear that a hundred percent. I think what it also does is that it's now written down. You don't have to spend any more mental time occupied with what's there, right? Like if it was a bad run, detail why it was a bad run. And sometimes what you realize is, I was just in a shitty mood, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can come to some conclusions that you were just, you were just in a bad mood when you started that run and you were really just kind of like bringing that into the picture and like your run got worse and worse because you just wanted to have a bad day, right? We've, and don't get me wrong. We've all had some bad runs because we didn't feel enough. We didn't do that. But again, it asks then when you're coached by somebody to say, Hey bud, why, uh, I saw your notes. It's just bad run. You wrote bad run. What what's going on there? Oh, well, you know, I was really cranky. And then right as a coach, where there's a series of questions I like to ask, how much did you sleep? Oh, not too well. Okay. How are things going at work? Oh man, super stressful. How how about things at home? Oh, kids are driving me just crazy. Okay. How much did you eat today? Didn't have time to eat today. Okay. Can you see how there's like four things here that that aren't really lining up for a good successful run? And uh, maybe today was a better day to take off. He's like, if I took today off, it would have been really bad for everybody. And I said, okay, so can we agree that it wasn't that bad of a run? And you you got some points here that maybe need to need some work. Yeah. And sometimes we have to act as therapists and kind of shift people's focus. Actually, I think that's a lot yeah. of what we do. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's such a great thing is that to get that behavior change sometimes that we need, whether that's a weight loss or to mentally say, I can run that time. We need to journal it. We need to show ourselves when we've made progress because pace alone is a terrible, terrible marker for success. Yep. So in your experience, because at some point it shifted for you, you went from being someone that was happy to run half marathons, enjoyed the training aspect of things. And again, right, as anyone does when they start a small business, at some point they shift from being someone that is, you know, a runner to today I'm a coach. There was one day that you were a runner and then the next day that you were coach, whether that's you decided that that was after you received your certification or maybe it was after the first time that you had an athlete cross a finish line. But at some point you went from runner to coach and runner. Um, and, and for you, what, where did that start and what was the initial intention? What was your initial goal? So really and truly, it all started because I started a blog in 2007. Um, So that was my way at the time to connect with other runners. I didn't know anyone around me who ran. And over time, the blog kept developing into me using my journalism background 
to stop writing about here was my run today and start writing more useful tips and information. And then I really felt like I needed some certifications around that. Um, I actually started with a personal training certification because at the time, I felt like it was better. Um, it delved so much more into the body and how we move. Mm. Um, and I'm such an avid reader. I mean, I read hundreds of books and every study I can find. So that's where I actually started. Um, by 2012, um, I really hit a tipping point where run to the finish was either going to become something or I had to stop doing it. <laughs> it was taking so much time. And I was also having so many people asking for a training plan or questions. And I really never planned to get into being a coach. I really thought I was just getting certified so that I had better knowledge to provide better content. Um, so I started out like most of us do, coaching friends for free, creating training plans for free for a while. Um, and then I just realized I was really excited to see people's progress and to kind of be part of their journey. So that has really evolved. I actually have a team of running coaches now because I can't physically take on people. Mm. Um, and so that's really exciting too. Um, just to kind of, again, be able to be part of more people's journeys and know they're getting information that I trust and value. <laughs> totally. And I want to dive in because as a coach, you know, I think you and I are, of course, similar in fact that we both, of course, we coach people, but also neither of us have won a national or world championship. And one of the things I wanted to dive into here is I think that we talk about athletes overcoming their barriers. I think one of the things that's very difficult for anybody that's out here, whether you coach other runners or you coach rugby one of the hardest things is, is that as coaches, the idea of imposter syndrome is a, is a term that's, I think, thrown a lot around. And I think one of the things that can be really hard is that at some point, you and I have both experienced, do I know enough? Do I, am I good enough to actually coach people? What have I done? I'm not an Olympian. And where for you was that where is your confidence come now? Is it just that you feel like you've done so much research to say like, I know this, I feel confident in this. I've also seen the work happen. Where for you was kind of your, to go from someone that was, I think I can coach to I'm a coach and look at all these awesome people I have behind me. Yeah. Oh man. Especially early on. Um, God, you feel that so much. Um, I think there were a couple of things for me. One was really deciding who I felt like I could best help. So I'm not trying to train an elite runner. I'm not trying to train a three-hour marathon runner. Um, and I think that's important. I understand my limits. Um, so I've had people come to me for ultras and I've done a 50K, but I have a lot of research. I have a certification in ultras, but I still don't feel like I'm the best person to help you cross a 100-mile finish line. So I got a coach on my team who has done more of those than I can even dream of. Um, so I think that was one piece for me was I didn't try to be everything for everyone. I was like, here's who I feel like I can really help. And that's who I'm going to focus on. And then, yeah, I think like any job, 
you get more experience. You've worked with, I've now worked with literally thousands of runners and have written thousands of articles. So all of that kind of builds up and you start to learn. I mean, I'm a much better coach, obviously, now than the people who paid me when I started. Because um, I just think, gosh, I understand so much more about what you need from your coach or that I'm going to program strength training. That was not really something we talked about then. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Sorry to all those first people we coached. We <laughs> yeah. we didn't know what we didn't know. So, Sorry. No, like <laughs> jokes aside, I think that's that's something that we see as runners in our work. You know, I think we've all probably been in a position where we feel like we're a little over our head when it comes to, you know, maybe inside a race, you know, getting a little uh, ambitious, or maybe you got a promotion that you weren't quite ready for, uh, or hopped into a job that you weren't quite ready to to be in. And I think part of it is that, you know, for me, my biggest thing when I was first starting a business is I was just happy to have some clients, right? And you said I coached some friends for free. And then at some point I was like, I'm putting a lot of time into this. And I think one of the things that can be hard, and this isn't to share the struggles of a, of a coach uh, with the listeners here, but I think one of the things there is that at some point I went from having to do something that I would, ab- I would still coach for free because I love it. But at some point you have to say, hey, this is, this is valuable, and this is worth some money and this is worth my time because now I have a lot of knowledge and experience with this. And so I think one of the things that gets hard is, you know, we then have to charge more and we have to increase our price and ask for a little bit more. But we do that every single day as both athletes and as people when we're going to go ask for a raise, when we go out and ask our bodies to go and accomplish something on a start line that we don't know if we're going to be able to do at the finish line, but we've, we've prepared for it. We've gained a lot of experience along the way. And I think when we look at training as this iterative place, right, where 1.1, you know, Amanda is a coach. Uh, would love to be where, you know, Amanda version 3.7 is now, you know, we're, we're able to really say, man, I'm proud of me. I'm proud of what I've done. And I will encourage everybody that's listening here to really just take the time to look back at the 1.0 version of yourself and, and see how far you've come in this process. Right. I think that's one of the great things is that you tend to work with, and I will say this just in, you know, looking at, at your, your content and what you really put out there is you tend to work with that sub marathon or some people that are newer into the sport, maybe some experience, but are, are trying to unlock that. I know I'm capable of more and I want to do more. So from your standpoint as a coach, where do you start? What are some of the initial questions that you ask people when they first come to you and say, Amanda, I want to get faster. I want to get better at the marathon. Where do I start? Yeah. So I think a lot of it is kind of understanding, obviously, what people have been doing. One of the questions I usually ask is, are you strength training? To which 80% say no. Um, And so I'm impressed. The number has gone up a lot more saying yes now. Um, But you have to start strength training. And I think a lot of times they're a little surprised um, when that's one of the first things I tell them or I tell them that will be part of your plan um, and we'll customize it for where you're at. Like, I don't care if you just start with core workouts that hit your hips and glutes and are short. Awesome. Like whatever I can get you to do to start. 
Um, so starting with that and then getting people used to understanding what an easy run is. Amen. Um, (laughs) I feel like finally in the last couple of years, I've seen a lot more people sharing their truly easy pace. And so people are getting a better feel on Instagram. I felt like everyone always just shared their like, ah, awesome. Like, look how fast I am kind of stuff. And now people are actually sharing like, look, my easy pace is two plus minutes slower than that workout the other day. And I've been for years saying, listen, Meb might start an easy run at a nine minute pace and no one would believe me. (laughs) So um, I think truly like getting people to understand the process of base building is a lot of times where we'll start. And what's exciting for me is that usually they will say within a couple months, like, this is the best I have ever felt. This is the first time I've been able to run and not be injured. Um, And it's just, it's sort of this funny thing of like, I know I'm just having you run easy and do strength training, but it has a purpose. (laughs) Totally. I think I scrambled over onto the edge of my desk because I'm actually um, a good friend of ours, a good professional contact. Uh, Her name's Priscilla Tallman and she's, uh, it's kind of this idea of like returning to play. But one of the things she talks about in it, and I'll just share the simple graphic, right? It's It's a triangle and there's a line on it and it says at the very tip of it, it says highlight reel and everything underneath the water. So it's kind of an inverted iceberg or an actual iceberg, if you will, is what's behind the scenes. And so often we see this social media presence of like, look at this run I absolutely killed. And that's what people really want to show is this highlight reel of all the good things. And it really warps our sense of understanding of what's real and what's attainable. Because if you're always comparing yourself against someone's highlight reel, like you're going to look at your own average good, good run, like what is actually a good run. And you're going to value that at about a penny when that's, that's really worth a hundred bucks and those really great workouts. I mean, that's, 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 you know, that's, that's the jackpot. Right. And what I'll say there, and I think one of the things that you, you touched on in that last little bit is so much of, of our training. And one of the things that I feel like I have to constantly do as a coach is get people to not want to rush to the hard stuff. And what I mean by the hard stuff is the workouts, the, you know, these huge efforts, these, these big highlight real superhero workouts that we do eventually get to. But so often people don't want to do the preparation work. They don't want to do that early initial phase because nine times out of 10, the story I get told is that it's boring. Yeah. It's boring to do the base work coach. And this, this, this strength stuff, it's monotonous. You know, you've got me doing three, three sets of 10 and it's like, well, this is what's keeping you out of PT. This is what's keeping you running. And this is what's going to eventually get you to your goal. And if you can't get past, you know, the fact that you have to strength train, do the base work, you actually, you kind of have to do that to earn the next phase, which is all the cool workouts and all the really hard stuff. But I'll agree with you that I think in the last three years, I think just on the other side of the pandemic, felt like we were making a lot of progress as a running community about the value of strength training and not the value of booty band workouts, (laughs) but actually picking up a barbell and actually incorporating real strength training. And so not that that booty band workouts aren't 
of some value in some ways. Lateral hip work is awesome. But the reality is, is that strength training has actually become a foundational piece of your your work that you do with athletes. And I, I love seeing, you know, more and more of your content is around strength training. And what what changed that for you? Is there or did it change it? Did it change your running? So I mean, I think I've been probably focused on like core stuff for a long time because it kept me injury free. Um, but strength training, I was really like hit or miss with for like six years before the last like four years where suddenly I just really got consistent. Um, I think it was a couple things. One is as I kept studying and understanding, I am not 20 years old anymore. And guess what? Like I'm losing muscle. Every time I lose more muscle, I'm going to start running slower, like, or I am going to get injured or, I mean, the number of obviously women who are interested in running for weight loss. And I'm like, yeah, you got to strength train because if you're cutting calories, which I know you are like, and you're just burning away all your muscle, you're never going to get to the goal that you're actually looking for. So I think it's been, yes, me finally seeing, because research works in my brain. So seeing a lot more research, seeing the benefits for myself, seeing the benefits in the runners that we coach, um, just really got me to a place of being consistent. And then I think the increased research around heavy lifting, particularly for women and their hormones, got me more excited about that because we do work with a high volume of women who are 40, 50, and even 60, um, which is super exciting to me just to see more people that are continuing to run. And the value there, like, especially as you mentioned, like, I don't want to gloss over the the big piece there is that it's not doing little, you know, five pound curls, right? Like we're talking about lifting, you know, in the words of Ronnie Coleman, some heavy ass weight, you know, like you gotta, you know, and that's the thing is like, I love it. Like I, one of the things we do with our youth program is we're, we have our high school group in the weight room two days a week. Um, even at a, right at, at the high school age, some freshmen and even our eighth graders are in there one day a week. And we go through a phase that we just finished before they go into their high school of like actual hypertrophy. And we're trying to, you know, of course, with good technique, like three rep max and working on that and, and getting kids to lift heavy. And one of the things that I have found is that it has really empowered our girls who are going through one of the toughest phases of body image. They're going through a very tough phase of confidence and maybe they haven't had a PR because their body's been focused on, you know, building and becoming a woman that PR that they've been chasing on the track or, you know, they've been chasing my, my wife wrote a great article I'll put in the show notes about this is it gives them a place to PR again. It gives them a place to stack some wins. And it's like, I can't tell you how many people we've probably both had that were like, I couldn't do five pushups when I started this thing. And I think about like, that's so important and so vital. Like I, I, and I, and I say this in a, in a way that's like, I don't ever want to be a place in my life. I hope I die being able to do like 15 pushups. You know what I mean? Like those are such important little things that like I hold as such value is like, those are some baseline life things. Like think about being 80 years old and trying to get out of a chair. Like mm-hmm. as much as a squat might be, uh, just a simple movement that we do and do heavy, like you want to still be able to squat when you're 60, 70 years old. And that's, 
that's what we're training for, right? It's training for life. Yeah, truly. And that's, and heavy is also, cause I think that's what scares people as soon as we say heavy is they imagine an Olympic lifter and I'm like, oh, no, boy. heavy is, is relative. So if you've totally. been doing 20 reps of the five pound weight, okay, can we pick up a 10 pound weight and see maybe you can only do eight reps? That's okay. Yeah, I think it is. It's an interesting, for some reason, we hear heavy and our automatic assumption is just something Big. that is, yeah, so far out of the realm of what we've been doing that we can't get people to start. <laughs> well, and right. So I think a lot of it, you know, coaching a good number of women myself, like I say, hey, we're going to lift heavy. And they're like, oh, I don't want to get big. I don't want to get big. And the, the next thing I literally say to them, like, if you want to get big, you have to eat to get big. You have to fuel that muscle growth. And I said, your, your body's going to quit far before you're going to ever turn into some superhuman with lats that, you know, you could lift off with. Like, you know, it, it's something that you actually have to take the time to do. And it's, it doesn't happen in, in a 40 minute session. It really yeah, doesn't. I think there's some data around even like, so maybe a new lifter maybe could gain a pound of muscle a month, maybe for like a year. But anyone who's been lifting for a while, like if they put on a pound to two pounds of muscle in like a year, that's like a massive win. And yeah, they're eating in like a really big surplus to get that growth. So it's much harder than we think to get big, big. <laughs> and that's, that's, I think, right. They're like, I don't want to get big arms. I'm like, man, you really have to work to get some big arms if you yeah. want big arms, you know? And there are people that do genetically, you know, they can, you know, build muscle relatively quickly, but if you've been training endurance for long enough, uh, you're going to be a, you know, your fiber type isn't going to be something that's going to let you get, you know, XL jumbo super muscles, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, um, I love that because it's, it is one of the hardest things I think. And for those that are listening, you're like, oh, maybe I'll do the strength training thing. Like it is the maintenance of life. It is what keeps you moving. It's as, as gross as maybe sound. It's what gets you off the toilet seat, right? It's what's going <laughs> to help you not, not feel immobile and frail. And I think that's a lot of, when I think of strength training for me is I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be 80 and frail. Yeah. I want to be that 80 year old dude that can still go hit a baseball and, you know, if I have grandkids and things like that, I want to be able to play around. And like, that's my fitness for life. And so strength training, I really look at it when trying to sell it. Cause I feel like I, I'm often in the, the place of salesman when it comes to strength training is I have to sell it as this is your maintenance. You, you change the oil in your car. This is what's keeping your lateral hips from, you know, letting go. And you're going to have to struggle with it band syndrome. So it's your choice. Do you want to do it with a PT or do you want to do it with me? So true. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about, I guess, a little bit of the mindset behind running. You know, when working with a newer runner, I feel like we, we run into two things. We either run into, you know, this fear of success where, you know, and this may be the latter of the two or a fear of failure, this failure, meaning I'm not going to hit my times, but also this fear of success that there's this big daunting goal of the marathon. And so which do you feel like you, you tend to see more with the athletes that, that you coach a fear of success or a fear of failure? I mean, I think probably what I see is more the fear of failure. Um, but usually 
I will say, I also feel like they're coming to me from a place of having already failed. And so they're very open to trying whatever the next process might be, whether that failure was an injury, that is a lot of the time, or that they didn't hit their last race goal. So for me, that's great. Now we have a lot of information about what worked and what didn't work. Um, and always kind of coming at it from that perspective. Um, and sometimes like when we go out and we have the bad race, then I say, awesome, that was a practice race. <laughs> like, so what did we learn at practice today? And I think having those race recap discussions and kind of going through like, what went well, what didn't go well, what do you wish had happened prior to the race? Is there anything you wish that I had been able to share with you? Like, that all gives you more information for the next round. And for me, one of the key things I think in that moment is reminding them that no matter what happens on race day, their training was never wasted. Totally. So you didn't do all that for nothing. Now you've built fitness. Now you have more. So now we can recover and then decide how we're going to use that fitness. So I think that for me is like a big thing is instead of just thinking the race was pass or fail, like you still won because you did all of that leading up to it. And I think that's such a, a mindset shift that a lot of people can struggle to make is, is, is looking, you know, I, I think people would probably call most running coaches optimists. Why couldn't the good thing happen? Right. And, you know, I often look at it as like, that was the worst race I've ever had. I bonked at mile, you know, 16 and this and that. And I said, all right, so what'd we learn? And I think, right, like always looking at it again is this iterative process of like, right, that marathon didn't go well. It looks like we need to really like focus on your nutrition plan. It looks like you were probably gutting out more of those long runs than you were really letting on. And you have to be a little more honest with yourself and me in what's working and what's going really well. And I think, right, is, is, tuning people into this frequency of thought around, well, it's not all bad. It's not all bad all the time. Yeah. Sometimes it just is. And you had a race and it didn't go the way you wanted. And that's okay to be disappointed about that. But you 100%. have to shift. You have to then say, how do we use this and move forward? Because it's not a, your, your training and then race day isn't a battery. It's not like you deplete it and then you have to restart at square one. You can go three weeks later and race another marathon. If you feel like you need a redemption because it turned out it was a rainy, crappy, cold day. Yeah. Your fitness is still there. You yeah. know? A hundred percent. It's that reminder that race day is one day. And sometimes we all know it. We have gone out on a run and nothing came together. Mm -hmm. And you never know. Race day can be that day. <laughs> or it can be the day where everything comes together. So... I try to like, when it's the day where it all goes right, celebrate the heck out of it. Like oh, yeah. enjoy it, relish it. But when it's the day where things fall apart, just analyze it. Was it just one of those days? What do you need to learn? I mean, I ran Chicago this year and I had the best training cycle, but there is nothing I could do about it being 80 degrees. Nope. <laughs> like, And so... I was frustrated and annoyed at the finish, but not really with myself per se, just it was what it was. Like I could not have done anything. Well, I could not have gone out so hard, <laughs> sure. but you know, it's 
that didn't mean that all those months of really great training meant nothing. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is working on that mindset a little bit. And I think it comes back to this thing, you know, of, of asking athletes a question, what do you control? What do you, what don't you control? So man, did you control the weather on race day? Yeah, not at all. Right. Did you control, uh, you know, all those other athletes that were running in front of you and, you know, maybe you, maybe you went out a little hard because you were trying to kind of keep with your group. Nope. Not really. Right. <laughs> but what you did control is your attitude, right? You controlled how you perceived what was happening. And when you ended up seeing some mile splits that didn't go your way, do you have a hissy fit or do you just kind of go, all right, this, I'm going to, I'm going to have to shift my goal. Yeah. I literally started laughing at mile 15. I thought you knew better than to go out at your goal pace, but you did it anyways. <laughs> um, and I thought, so now you're going to pay the price for that because it's 80 degrees. And so yeah. we're going to just chill out and finish this race. However we finish, like, I know I can finish. That's fine. So the PR is out the window. That's okay. Like, you learned a lesson. Now you just get to enjoy a run through Chicago. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes like when you give up that, like, I have to, I have to, you can change that perspective. Right. Cause I think a lot of people that were there on that day, they were like, this is awful. This is shitty. I'm having a bad day. It's hot. I feel miserable. I don't want to do this anymore. And they're so far away from their why, about why they got into it, that they're just miserable. When the reality is, is like you just said, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to have fun with this. I'm going to make, I'm going to make the most of this moment. I mean, I've had those marathons too. So this is yeah. definitely the perspective of having run for more years. Because <laughs> um, I've definitely had the ones where I got halfway through and thought, this is the dumbest thing I've ever decided to do. And I did have a hissy fit. So certainly like some of it's easy to say now because we just have more experience, um, but have worked on that mindset too. So I think one of the things um, that I learned from John Levitt's episode that I loved and I joked with him, I said, so John, what you're telling people is we have to get injured to really enjoy our sport to the maximum because we don't really enjoy our sport until something that we really love is taken away from us and we have space to be able to say, oh, maybe I do need to do that strength training and be able to know that when I hit that moment at mile 15 and it's all out the window, I just got to be grateful that I'm here because sometimes that first race after a major injury, you're just happy to cross that finish line and that gratitude and that, that the importance of that. And so when you're working with athletes, you know, do you try to give them that perspective or do you feel like, what do you, how do you feel like you coach the joy and the gratitude and like what, what really needs to happen in the sport you know, with running? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that is kind of as you're going through training and having those check-ins and a lot of our check-ins are not just how's your body feeling, but like, are you still excited? Are you having fun? Like training should be fun. I believe that you're going to have hard runs and you're going to have runs that are, don't feel amazing, but on the whole, like, are you enjoying this? Are you excited about this? And sometimes we will find, especially with the marathon, people will get to a point where they're like, yeah, I'm not actually enjoying this, you know? And so then it's kind of a matter of, okay, are you not enjoying it because you're tired and we're hitting peak week and that's 
totally normal? Are we halfway through and maybe the marathon was never actually your goal? Or maybe Mm. right now the marathon is not the best goal because you are working 60 hours a week. Yep. Um, So let's shift the goal. Let's find something that you can feel successful at. Um, And it takes a little time sometimes to back off, like if we've set the marathon goal. But a lot of times I feel like they will switch down to something else and immediately say, I'm so much happier. I feel so much better. I'm so much more excited. So I think there's a little bit of constant like, checking that we're chasing the right goal. Um, I think that's important. Yeah, I totally hear that because I think one of the things that, that ends up happening when we're going out is we need to make sure that our why is in the right place. And I feel like that's a place we've touched on a lot is why am I, why am I training for this race? Right. And I think one of the things that happens is if you've ever worked with an athlete who's like, all right, I want to, I want to break four hours and then they go and break four hours. Then it's like this almost like depression that comes after it. Right. And you know, my wife is famous for, for giving me the quote that a goal fulfilled is no longer motivating. And it's all of a sudden that the goal isn't there anymore or what was motivating you is, is gone because life shifted. And, you know, you were going to do it with your partner and you may not be together or, you know, whatever it is, your group of people and you moved and you don't have that group anymore to go and constantly train with. So when people get down to it and they have that existential freak out of like, why am I doing this? Like, this isn't (laughs) fun. It can, it can be a really hard place to be. And I think the question you all have to ask yourselves is, does it make me happy? Do I enjoy it? Do I have to PR? Is this all about chasing your personal best all the time? Or is it sometimes just because training for a race gives you a purpose in your day and sometimes just the finish line alone? Like it doesn't always have to be about, about getting that PR. And I think that's one of the the big messages I get from your content is that it's about shaping just who you want to be. Yeah. I always say we don't have to run. I mean, if you just want to be fit and healthy, there are a ton of activities you can do. So if you're choosing to run, there's probably something about it that you're choosing it because there's an enjoyment factor. And so, yeah, kind of checking in with that and figuring out you're losing that. Well, why is that? Do you need a break? Have you taken a break anytime recently? Like, are you taking cutback weeks? The number of folks I see who never take a single week where they cut back is amazing. Um, And so, yeah, we don't have to run. So we might as well make it enjoyable. You can chase a goal and have it be enjoyable. You can just be training and have it be enjoyable. So there's a lot of ways for that to happen. Um, But I think that check-in is important. Yeah, right. Because you can chase a goal and be miserable. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people that do that. And I think one of the things that we do as coaches quite often is we give people permission. We give people permission when they wouldn't take a week off, they wouldn't take a week down. They feel like they always have to, you know, be on the button and they always have to be pushing as hard as possible. And I think we're as a community getting better about not having to run zone three all the time. But the reality is, is that we give athletes permissions a lot, permission, I should say. We give athletes permission to take that rest day when they wouldn't give it to themselves. And we have to teach them almost how to be kind to themselves. And so when you're coaching someone, and this is just, you know, how do you view your coaching? Do you see it as a dialogue or do you see it more as a directive? Like, hey, here's the thing that needs to get done today. 
where when you're working with an athlete, do you feel like it's more of a dialogue between you and them? And it's like, how do we need to fit running into your world? I feel like it's more of a dialogue. I'm certainly going to give them like, here's my best advice, but now let's figure out how this actually is going to work for you. So, oh, you can only run three days a week right now. Okay. Well, how do we maximize those three days? Can I get you to give me 10 minutes another day to do core work? Can I give you like 20 minutes to squeeze in something else? Um, So kind of maximizing that time. But then, like I said, it is a lot of checking in with well, how are you feeling? Like, are you excited? Like, how did that go? Okay, we've upped the mileage here for a few weeks in a row. Like, you still feeling good? How are the energy levels? Um, Because certainly, like, I could plot it out on paper and be like, this is perfect. (laughs) But your body may not respond to this is perfect. I know mine certainly doesn't respond to paper plans like they're perfect. Um, So yeah, it is a lot of that back and forth. Yeah, that's the hard part about a static plan is that it it doesn't it, there's it's a paper plan and uh, as soon as you try to get it to bend for you it tears. Yeah, you know, and I, I think one one of the the pieces there that I wanted to just kind of share with the people because I think it's a little kind of a a gold nugget is you know you talked about how people people need to understand that like that rest week and it's not losing. Right. So often when people go and they've had, they've had three great weeks and maybe you're following a three to one periodization, just as an example, and you give them that rest week, they go, why am I running less miles this week? I feel fine. Why do I need it? Why should I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to lose. Right. And we talked about that, that fear, that fear of success or fear of failure. There's this kind of mid fear of like, I don't need this. I'm tough. And so how do, how do you handle when that athlete or someone comes to you and they're just like, I don't need this. I'm going to keep pressing and put my, my nose down to the grindstone. Uh, I appreciate that, but I don't need it. Not me. Yeah. I love throwing the word super compensation at them. (laughs) So super compensation, um, for those who have never heard of it is basically consider that you have a normal baseline of your running. And during those three weeks where you're putting in hard efforts and your longer runs, you're actually breaking down. So now your fitness level is actually below your baseline. And then you take a recovery week and suddenly your fitness is now above your baseline. And so then in your next three-week block, you actually have more training. You've now shifted your baseline. Um, And so kind of getting them to see that during that recovery week is actually when all of the work that they've been putting in, their body has time to catch up. So you mentally might have caught up, but your body hasn't caught up to it. And so that's what that week is doing. It's allowing it to catch up. So now we can keep progressing to the next thing. And that's why you should trust your coach. Um, <laughs> True. And, and I've always looked at it as like, it's that time for your body to absorb the training, right? There is, it's not a, an on-off switch. I have done training and I am now fitter. It is a process and there is a lead time. There's a lag time where we have to allow our bodies to absorb it. And I've always told people that this is the idea of building a bigger bucket. So we truly have to build a bigger bucket with our fitness in terms of when you're taking that week down, 
your bucket's getting bigger. It can carry more water. And if you see the analogy as water is fitness, it you can carry more water. And that is the whole goal of our training is to be able to do the thing that we love more and better. So I, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation today, Amanda. I know uh, we're, we're getting close to, to our time here. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure that people understood is one, you have a massive amount of followers, which I, I can't lie, I'm a little jealous of because <laughs> your audience is amazing. But with that said, I want people to make sure that they take a chance to hop over to your website, but I wanted you to get a chance to share a little bit with the people about where you can be found, any of the great resources that you have available to people, so on and so forth. Absolutely. So yeah, run to the finish. I am on darn near every platform from YouTube to Instagram, just not TikTok. Um, so really and truly on the website, um, if you are looking for a place to start, I have articles on run walk or couch to 10 K couch to half marathon. You can find a training plan. Um, and I think sometimes just having that base to work from is really nice. Um, I do love Instagram because have a community there. So it's really fun. Like people actually respond to each other, actually communicate and connect. Um, I also have an online running group. So when you're at that point where you can't quite afford one-on-one -on -one run coaching, um, I certainly was there for a long time. For me, this was like the best way to try and provide something so you can get access to courses like strength training for runners, um, plus get access to all nine coaches and a community. So I've tried to come up with ways to really help people kind of wherever they're at on their journey. And hopefully between all the platforms, there's something there. No doubt. I am also not on TikTok because you won't catch me dancing. Yeah, I'm a runner. <laughs> I don't dance. Yeah. Maybe we should make a TikTok just for the people to show them how bad, how bad at dancing we really are. Yeah, I think that's the problem. If I could do something on there besides dance, or it just took way less time, maybe I would do it. But currently, I don't have the bandwidth. <laughs> I'll say this as an aside. If you've made it this long in the podcast, you get to enjoy the, uh, I guess, uncorked side of me is we've tried to recently do reels. Oh, yes. Um, and while they may be great engagement tools... It, it brings up the cringe level to a hundred for me. I just, it's, I don't know, maybe I'm just bad at acting and I feel so much more comfortable sitting in front of my computer with my webcam. Um, but like, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel genuine to me. And I think it's been such a hard, hard way. It's like, I just want to, I want people to feel this and see this as a very genuine thing. And so yeah. I appreciate you sharing all that you did today about, you know, both your business, but also just what people need to hear in terms of, of coaching. And I think that's one of the things I've loved about following you since, since then is you come across very honest, um, and really enjoyed, uh, all sides of you. Thank you. I super appreciate that. Uh, so Amanda, thank you so much for coming on today and really, uh, kind of jumping in and, uh, sharing all that is run to the finish. Thanks. It was great to be here. Hey guys, Coach Andrew Simmons here. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Defining Endurance, the podcast from Lifelong Endurance. Do you want more information and content between shows? Follow us on Instagram at lifelong underscore endurance, as well as on Facebook. You can also check out our YouTube page for more running and strength training tips. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. <laughs>